Hey everyone, welcome to season eight premiere. Oh man, I'm so excited for this episode. Uh, welcome to the show. If this is your first time listening, uh, let me tell you a little bit about what we do. We interview people who sold books for a company called Southwestern Advantage that's based in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, they recruit college kids to go door to door for 80 hours a week on straight commission with sometimes not even a place to live guaranteed and go all the way across the country and selling these books to families who need help with homework or to need to help, you know, maybe teach your kids to read or whatever. So we we go and find those people. They've been doing this since 1868. So there's 100,000 living alumni and we try to interview them and see what they're up to now, see how that experience shaped them for the good or the worse or both. And uh, from there, we've gotten some amazing stories and have gotten to meet a bunch of really incredible human beings. No different than my guest today, Dave Rosen. I'm so excited. Dave Rosen is a legendary person in the history of Southwestern. He was the first person to hit 1,000 units in a week uh during during the summer which is incredible because today that's a thousand that's eight thousand dollars in profit that's what a unit equals to so just imagine that first person to do that in company history um he also broke the company record in 1989 setting forth uh, a chain reaction of belief barriers that were broken throughout decades to come for the company and now that record sits uh a lot higher but the first person to pioneer the idea to just go out there, give your all and completely, utterly commit to success was Dave Rosen. So he sold from 1985 to 1995 for 11 summers, part of the Blitz organization, originally from the University of South Florida and then later on DePaul University. If you want to get a hold of him, D Rosen at tcgchicago.com. That'll be on the screen and on the link below. So you can click if you want to get a hold of him to see or hear more about what he's up to. He's got some really cool stuff going on, which we're going to get into today. Um, and uh, he couldn't, he, he didn't have a specific favorite scroll. So I think he, I'm just going to say he liked ev the whole entire book <laughs> of Ogmandino. And so with that, when we come back, Dave Rose. Welcome, Dave. How are you? <laughs> good, Andres. Thank you. Doing great. Oh. It's so good to see you again. Uh, our shows change, and you, you've also grown a lot from a business standpoint since the last time we talked. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, <sighs> active life. You know, it, when you're take, when you're trying to take over the world, that's uh, that's kind of the nature of it, right? You just end up growing really quick. <laughs> one foot in front um, of the other. That's right. <laughs> one break at a time. Um, let's dive right in. I, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit more about uh, what you're up to now and how the things how things have changed for you. Um, right now, just so people know, you are involved in the cannabis industry, you're, you're, you own a cannabis company, and we're going to get into the weeds of that, pun intended. But what I would like to see is, I mean, I know right now you're dealing a lot with the politics of it all and kind of what the industry is looking like in the future going forward. And so um, to for people to really understand that, I wanted to rewind a little bit and talk about how you first got involved in politics in the first place. That's something people asked us to kind of get into more this time and then use how you use that experience in the cannabis industry and what you're doing with that experience today. Is that, is that cool? Oh, sure. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I know I am. I wanted to give a quick shout out to the people that make this show possible, the people that bring this show to you. Uh, these are people who all sold books and we're here to give a quick shout out to them in a spotlight uh, about their company and what they're up to. So if you're interested or if after listening to this, you're kind of wanting to know a little bit more, feel free to click on the links below to connect with these people. Uh, these are from an expert excerpt I have 
with them from a podcast that I do on the side. It's called Executive Exercises, where we take all our sponsors and they come into a think tank and share some awesome ideas about how to grow their business specifically on different topics. Go check that out. But I pulled some of the comments that they had explaining what they do and who they're looking for on their companies. And so if that sounds like you, like I said, click below. Hope you enjoy. That's another thing that maybe Southwestern people don't understand is leads. And that's kind of like you're saying, basically, imagine you show up to a town to sell books. You send a postcard out to every single family that has kids in school or young children, asking them if they struggle with any of the following subjects, yes or no. <laughs> would you be interested? In, would you be interested in hearing about a product product that might help you with all those subjects, yes or no, name and address. And then you just waited at your HQ for like a couple of weeks. And then you got in the mail, like 700 people returning that postcard saying, come to my yeah. house. Here's where I live. Uh, coaching, you hear a lot about life coach, sales coach, business coach, yada, yada, coach, 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 coach. Man, I think just to start off like what it isn't, it's not training. It's not showing up and yeah. having somebody talk at you for 45 minutes to an hour. And like the way that I look at it is we're all human beings. We're all broken in some capacity. And we all know a lot of the people that I work with, they know what they're supposed to be doing. They're just not executing on it or they're not doing it as intentionally as they should be. Um, or they're, they're just not focused. They have like 15 different goals or 15 different things that they're trying to balance or do. And because of that, like they're not as intentional as they should be at home or they're not as intentional as they should be at work and they're not picking up the phone and calling people. And it's like, it's like having a personal trainer for your, your business. It's having intention on why we do what we do every day and creating clarity and helping to build our lives and our calendars around what our future goals and intentions are. That'll do for now. Like I said, make sure you click below to get some more information. And now back to the show. So let's go back. You get done selling books and then you start getting into politics. Uh, you end up becoming Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign fund manager. Am I, am I yeah, you know, uh, I, I worked, I went to, had to finish up my college because I was in five different institutions following the Southwestern <laughs> dream, building sales organizations where I could, that they didn't have my major and transferred credit. So finally I went back to DePaul to finish up, get an undergrad. And I thought I'd be a lawyer, but it ended up um, the fastest way was political science. And I got the bug for political science. And David Wilhelm, the former DNC chair and Clinton's campaign manager, came to teach a class. And I took the class. We became really good friends. And he opened up a volunteer gig for me on Jesse Jackson Jr.'s campaign. And I did that campaign. He won. We uh, then moved on and he opened up a volunteer spot on uh, the DNC, which was the Clinton Gore reelection campaign. Right. And they couldn't pay me. It's still volunteer. You know, this is why only rich kids can work in politics. Who can work for free, you know, for a year? So right. I went and sold books one more summer. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I, I took three months off and I went and lived in northern Maine in my mother's hometown. And I did 10,000 units in 10 weeks. And I took that money and I put it in a bank account. And um, I was able to then go to work for, for the reelection. And then they hired me for $17,900 a year. Uh, and that was my big break. Then, uh, and then the rest was- But without that out. money, without that money, the Southwestern money, I would have had to you know, get, drop out at, at that point. No, I, I ended up being President Clinton's finance director, Al Gore, General Clark, Hillary Clinton, That's Governor Davis, Vilsack, Cuomo, Quinn, 30 members of Congress. I did it for 25 years. Now, 
I asked you this last time, but I want to still reiterate this for people who might not want to go back and go find the old episode. But what parts of the Southwestern experience did you think that you used the most to be able to climb the ladder so quickly? And to the, I mean, that's the highest level. It's the president. No, well, you know, all of it. You know, after eleven summers selling books, you tend to know a little bit about yourself. Hmm. So, uh, my best skill today, even, is to avoid non-prospects and to stick and move and close a high percentage of people. You have to not waste your time with people that will never buy, no matter how good the books are, or how good you are. So. Hmm. Uh, avoiding not prospects, leaving them with a positive note and, and moving on has saved me not just the mental anguish of spending 50 minutes in the house that just sucks all the energy out of you, but that you um, kind of are in control of your day. Who do you demonstrate to? Are, are, are you interested? And then once you gauge that, you know, it's the same with business. So, um, so that's my best skill even today. But what, mm. what allowed me to get into politics, I when I was volunteering, they had me do data entry and I was awful. And the guy came to me and he goes, this is terrible. And I think he goes, Yo, Hey, what about, we have this event coming up. What if we gave you a list and you could call people and, and ask them to get on, come to the event. You know, it's a thousand dollars to come and it's, you know, $5,000 to co-host. And I said, okay. And, um, that was the beginning of the end. You know, I, I sold a lot of tickets. I sold a lot of tables. Um, I, uh, fundraising was, ob names. was obviously, you know, a, a really uh, a translatable skill from from door to door direct sales to fundraising. Um, so again, you you demonstrate you have a product, you have a cycle of a sale, you have cash collection, you have referrals, and you move on. So it's it's um, I was good at it, and then. Um, yeah. I started training others and you know, once you're good at raising the money without the money, everybody loses. So if you're able to raise money, you can, that's how you climb up. <laughs> you're taller when you stand on your money. So uh, pe people would uh, hire me and, and then I just started getting hired by, you know, high profile folk and um, ended up being, you know, again, wow. four, three presidential races. That is bananas. You get to this point where it's, I mean, you're raising money for a presidential campaign, right? You you are in consistent conversation with the president, uh, soon to be president, right? What what does that lifestyle look like from a standpoint of like your I mean, you were traveling all the time. Were you were you able to be at home? Like, how did you how does that world revolve? I don't feel like again, very similar thing. to books. No, you're never home. Yes, you're traveling all the time. You can't catch up, <laughs> you can't catch up with your mail. Uh, once people trust you, so in Hollywood is the same way. When you want to go work in Hollywood, you work for free for, you know, years and people get used to you being around. And once you're in the club, uh, whether you're paid or not, people lower their guard against you and they're comfortable hanging around you. So, but, but by the time I work, I'm working for the president of the United States, th there's no, you know, getting comfortable. We're working. So, yeah. you know, when I worked for the president, he didn't call me much. But when I worked for the senator uh, in her Senate race, she was the first lady then, he called yeah. me all the time. And the first time he called me, you know, I, I didn't think it was him. And I said, oh, come on. 
you know, I probably said Someone's other doing words. an impression. Yeah. And <laughs> this it, is William. And it, and no, no, no. Okay. Yes, Mr. President. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he said, well, how's the event going? The, the event in Cleveland, Mr. President? Y yes. The one, yeah. Well, well, it's, it's on track, Mr. President. And, and yes, we're going to hit the goal. So and wild. and uh, he'd say, okay, well, you know, let me know. <laughs> okay. Sure thing. I'll text you. <laughs> so that ended up being where he called me a bunch. And, and uh, he really uh, deeply cared about his wife's race. And, and uh, he's the smartest guy uh, in politics. So yeah, he was a, a big help. And, you know, he, he wow. paid attention. He was intellectually curious and he cared. So what is it like to get calls from, you know, now, yeah. you know, it's my club, right? Some people are in, you know, other clubs, but politics is my club. So I see and talk to senators a lot. Um, I, I'm going to the White House holiday party uh, tonight. So, you know, I, I'm, uh, because you don't ever get out. I'm not a fundraiser anymore. I'm not a staffer anymore, but cannabis is, is deeply political. We've been jailing the wrong people for a long time. Uh, there's lots of crazy, rules, uh, tax, uh, onerous tax uh, rules that don't allow us to profit. Um, there's lots of reasons to be political, but it's certainly state legislatures. And it's, it's uh, the main reason is it's still federally illegal. So until right. we get some relief where we, we're no longer taxed like a, a, an illegal drug, where our revenues are derived from illegal sources, um, you know, we, we try to do the right thing. We pay a living wage and health insurance to our employees. Our employees are long-term. They're a union, uh, we're a union employer. So we've been organized by UFCW. We're, we're the only union company in Las Vegas. We give pensions and free college and high hourly wage, <laughs> and vision and dental insurance. So, so you know, th th no one leaves. We have a 14% turnover rate. And uh, people have worked for this for seven years, eight years in the cannabis industry. So uh, that makes us strong. So yeah. Yeah, um, that is... Amazing. So, 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 so cool. oftentimes I'm talking to senators about cannabis and, and, you know, they want to know how an operating cannabis company, you know, uh, works. They want to know um, all this labor stuff and, you know, how the Canadian companies ended up forming monopolies in the country and yeah. driving the price down. So all that so, about this. Yeah. Tell, I was going to say, let me get into this. We'll go back to kind of like how you ended up in cannabis in the first place in a little bit. But yeah. now that we're here, let me ask you about this because the industry has changed a ton. You were telling me before we, when we scheduled this meeting and this recording, um, can you walk us through what people like the common person doesn't know about the cannabis industry from well, the standpoint there, of there's like a lot. the structure, the yeah. monopoly? Well, everyone thinks it's a green rush and that there's so much money being made for those that are own, that own cannabis companies and are operating cannabis companies, and, and quite the opposite is true. You're you're not allowed to make money. What what do I mean by that? You pay sixty percent in tax, six zero, and then you pay tax on your gross revenue. So you can't right. lower your business expenses. So if us book people couldn't lower our business expenses, we would pay or a, a lot more in taxes, <laughs> and we'd be yeah. out of business. Yeah, you, you know, it's it's not it's cost prohibitive. If you were a law firm and you couldn't write down your business expenses, you're out of business, a restaurant. So right. this is the price to be in cannabis before it's legal. It's like owning a prohibition license before prohibition is listed before. I mean, an alcohol license before prohibition is lifted. That's the investment, by the way, you know, when Canada lifted, when Canada went legal, their stocks went a hundredfold in value and there's an automatic multiplier. We just thought it would be legal by now. It's, it's you know, 2014 
was the first, 2013. So we thought it'd you know, be legal by now. And that's the, who can hold on? Well, what happened is when Canada went legal, they're now public. So they had liquidity and access to all this money. So they went and bought up 80% of all the licenses in the US. So, so their, their, their companies have 6,000 employees, you know, 100,000, they paid $100,000 or $100 million in tax. Um, but they don't pay, you know, they don't give pensions and free college and, you know, they're just regular Joe retail employers and they have a higher turnover and their, their goal is to sell it to a pharmaceutical company, a beverage company, a liquor company, mm. a tobacco company later on after it's legal. So it's our plan too. It's just that they're so big now that they have to hit these quarterly um, revenue for their public companies. So they have to list their numbers every quarter. So they sell their cannabis for it for cheap. And so mm. now they're flooding the market with high THC dry cannabis which is really, you know, average weed. Yeah. And um, they're forcing us to sell our clinical grade cannabis for cheap or do something else with it. So that's the thing that they flooded the market. So our retail, the retail sales are down just because of the economy and inflation and everything else. But then the wholesale, everything's down because they, they lower the price of flour. So what do we do? We take the flour and now we extract from it. We uh, put it into a vape pen. And we skip the jars. We'll wait until the market comes back to sell our clinical grade cannabis. We'll sell a small uh, amount of the, the high-end uh, bigger buds in our stores, but the rest we, we send right to extraction. We create these amazing products with vape pens and, and uh, infused pre-rolls with our own extracts, our own flour, and we're able to stabilize that way. But yeah, the, the market's been depressed for, for 18 months. We've seen other downturns in the market having been in the business nine years, but this is as bad as it gets. Now the public companies aren't having a good time either. Their stock went from you know eighty or uh, forty-five bucks to six, so they've lost you know ninety percent of their value. And I think we have hit bottom. I think it will come back up. And uh, there's supposed to be legislation this week, yeah, that, uh, it's called the Safe Banking Act, that we thought we'd get passed, and and that would change things for us because in that Safe Banking Act it says that. Uh, cannabis proceeds will no longer be considered de being derived from illegal sources, which would make us profitable overnight. Yeah, the tax, the tax set of things, the, the financial set of things would change Im in yeah immediately. So, what in your mind would be the next couple of things that need to happen for weed to be legal across the well, United I, States? I mean, like, what, what's what's the next I, move for that? I'm going to be controversial. You know, I, I think that that um, antitrust. You know, why do we have to have monopolies before it's federally legal? I think that the, the government should break up these giant companies and give independent uh, uh, companies a shot at being an entrepreneur in the U.S. You know, how did it get so big that nobody could participate anymore? Yeah. And, and now there's only three. So I, I would break up those companies with antitrust. But what what that's just me being radical. What, what would um, what needs to happen is federal legalization. You know, we have 36 states now. Yeah. We have, you know, 21 that are full adult use. The majority of the adult population has access to legal cannabis now. Millions and millions of dollars are going to the coffers of governments, local municipalities, and federal government. So we're still, in some states, placing people in unsafe uh, transactions and unsafe uh, uh, situations mm -hmm. to get their medicine. 
yeah. um, you know, with our employees, having a cash business is not good. If you're deliver, if you're a, del- a marijuana delivery person, you're going out with cannabis and in with cash. Not it's a good position. Risk. Not a good not position good. to be in. So if you're going to yeah. start a new business, why not recycle and reclaim your water? Why not uh, ban single-use plastics? You know, wh- why not do all the best practices that we've learned from from all the bad practices that have happened so far? But because of onerous regulation and really federal non-movement, we're stuck where we are. We we have to use these exit bags that that litter and and uh, and, and and pollute the landfills. You know, this is cannabis. We use a tiny little bit amount of cannabis goes in this giant jar because it has to have a label attached to it. So what needs to happen is just the regularization, if that's a word, of 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 cannabis. We should be able to buy this medicine, whether it's a beer or or an aspirin. We should be able to buy it in a store, whether it's a vitamin or 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 a, a glass of wine. We should be able to buy it in the store. And that, that means we could transact properly, we could bank properly, we could finance. You know, the biggest thing is these facilities cost $20 million to build. Well, that's cash. Who has $20 mm-hmm. million in cash to, to build a, a factory? So then you take a loan, and the loan, yeah, thank you very much, is 20%. Oh, thank you. What, <laughs> so so, so it's, it's, predatory, it's predatory lending, or you have to finance it through equity or go this public route in the Canadian exchange, and we're not willing to do any of it. So we, we, have, we have not been in a hurry to um, take a bad deal, and we've, we've gone with the best practices. We have a, a, a company where we give a living wage and health insurance. We recycle and reclaim all of our water. We grow in a, a technique called deep water culture, DWC, and we invented, yeah. and, we invented and patented this equipment, and we're in 20 countries now with these patents. And, uh, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of lab tests, hundreds and hundreds of, of um, uh, harvests. So it's a really tough business, but you can't take your hand off the wheel. You know, the great sacrifice to this, I can't buy a house. I can't buy a car. I can't, I, yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I'm considered. Your money's tied. Yeah. I'm, well, no, I'm considered um, a non-entity in credit, right? I can say that so, so no one will finance me. Right. Ask my wife. She right. owns everything. So, so, you know, <laughs> you, 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 I can't put anything in my name. I can't refinance. Yeah. I can't. So it's just because it's federally illegal. I'm just a pot guy, but you know, who knew I went from, you know, working in presidential politics to <laughs> yeah. not being able to open up a bank account. So I was, <laughs> okay. Well, well that's what I was, this is, uh, I wanted to ask you about the, the indictment and then of course your acquittal later on, if it's that all right, move into that. Um, uh, oh my God, I don't have to go. I can skip my therapy appointment this week. Yeah, sure. Andres. Let's, <laughs> let, let's, let's go for it. And how does that make you feel? Um, Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I know I am. I wanted to give a quick shout out to the people that make this show possible. The people that bring this show to you. That's okay. And actually, and this is good to, uh, I had Nick kind of explain this a little bit too, but it's in, cause I've been in the insurance industry before for people who are listening, like, how do you make 115% commission? The way I explain it to people is the insurance companies we represent. So we're a broker. All these companies we work with, they know they're not really going to be making any money off the sales that I make for the first several years. But they don't care right. about that. They, they know these clients are going to be on the books for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. So no, they know they're going to make money over the long haul. And so part of the reason agents are able to make so much is there's all these companies out here and they're all competing for for my the broker's business 
because these companies don't actually have their own in-house sales force. They have independent contractors. And so if they're if their compensation or their commission levels that they offer aren't competitive, I'm not going to place any business with them. Hero, hero, off schedule moment. Wanted to tell you about Southwestern Real Estate. They're 99% drama free, only 99, not 99.9. So it's a bit spicy. Kind of like this episode. Anyway, they will learn you to kick ass at real estate. So make sure you guys click the link below, get in touch with them. Okay, back to work. Bye. That'll do for now. Like I said, make sure you click below to get some more information. And now back to the show. So, so just for people who, who might not be assured, and there was an indictment for you in 2003, right? Is that, right? did I read that right? Yeah, that sounds I, right. You know, I, like I, uh, what, what led up to that? How did you, how did the acquittal go? And then how did you go from there to let's start weed? Like what was those transitions? Oh, it's a natural transition. Everyone that gets acquitted, which is nobody, um, <laughs> it goes, goes, goes into cannabis. So first thing to understand is that, you know, 96, 97% of people that are indicted uh, go to jail, uh, are, are convicted. You know, Martha Stewart went to jail. Yeah. So, so I was facing 20 years in jail. Now, you know, as the bookman, the, when you say, how did, how did being a bookman help me? Well, this is one of them. Uh, just being able to testify uh, in a trial, sure, it was my own, but it could be anybody's trial. It, it helped me to present. It helped me to look people in the eye. helped me to read people. But how did it happen? I, I was working for uh, Senator Clinton and um, uh, we threw a fundraising event and the people that sponsored the fundraising event ended up being, you know, scumbags. And they had partnered with uh, Stan Lee, the uh, very famous Marvel comic book creator. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- this, they, yeah. uh, they started a company with him and they stole all the money. <laughs> and so, oh. so then they ran to Brazil after it was all over. Now we threw a, an amazing event. We, we, uh, we, it was called the Hollywood salute to president Clinton. And it was a fundraiser for the the then Senate uh, campaign or the, the campaign for Senate for us Senate for Hillary. And we yes. did it in, uh, Beverly Hills or, or uh, Mandeville Canyon in, in uh, Los Angeles on the eve of the democratic national convention. We threw this big party and the guys that were stealing the money were paying for the party. And then when it was all over, they said, yeah, we stole all the money. And yes, I'm in Brazil on the lamb, but you should give me immunity from prosecution because this party that we threw didn't cost $300,000. It cost $3 million. And here are the receipts. Now, great. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. It, you know, there was no um, victim, right? It was just the expenses. So how much it cost, there was no... For the alleged underreporting, there was no victim. Hillary didn't benefit. David Rosen didn't benefit. The Democratic right. senatorial campaign didn't benefit. Nobody benefited. It was the public right to know. What it was was uh, uh, the uh, Ashcroft uh, Judicial uh, uh, Department trying to squeeze my blood on Hillary Clinton's shoes. So right. if I was uh, indicted and convicted, she wouldn't be able to run for president. She wouldn't have been able to be Secretary of State. Right? It would have been a big deal. Yes. So most people in my position at that time would have uh, taken a deal. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't. And so we went to trial and I was tried for 17 days and I was the top ticker on the CNN, you know, uh, underneath. and I was facing 20 years in jail. And on the left of the pew was my family. In the middle was uh, all 150 newspapers from around the world. And on the right was all the, the interest groups the, from the right and the left some hoping I hang and some hoping uh, I'm, I'm uh, uh, freed. 
Um, and it came down to, you know, we the people. Now, I testified for six hours in front of the, uh, the top prosecutor for the integrity division of the Justice Department. And, you know, most people don't testify in their own trial. And um, I was acquitted in three hours. The jury understood, you know, it came down to we the people of the United States found the defendant, David Rosen, not, not guilty. guilty. You don't miss that first word. And, uh, you know, my family's crying, my lawyers are crying, and uh, it was a big deal. Uh, you know, prior to that, wow. you know, politics had become nasty, right? I was just a pawn. It wasn't personal. They just wanted Hillary. So it, it didn't used to be that way. They used to stay in town on the weekends and go out with each other, and the Republicans and the Democrats would hang out, and they would go on retreats, and yeah. they would say, I can't believe you said that to me on, uh, you're in the well. You know, how dare yeah, you? they were pals. And, yeah, and, and uh, that kind of broke down where it was more destruct, you know, politics of destruction. And I was just a, a pawn in a, a way bigger fight. You know, when the lawsuit came, you know, President Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and David Rosen, you know, my mom said I was in good company. So, yeah. you know, it, uh, it's it's <laughs> it, and prior and, and prior to that, you know, I had worked for the, the DNC and, and, and other campaigns and I'd had to give reports that I've had to have my hard drive seized. I'd have to, you know, uh, uh, testify on, on finance because it's almost like an audit or, or an accountant job, um, but never where I was, was I a direct uh, uh, target. And by the way. Uh, I don't think they'll try it again. You know, it's never happened before. I was just a political staffer, but they right. tried to indict a staffer who was just, you know, I print name tags for a living, for goodness sakes. Yeah. So, yeah, so that happened. And then I got back. You know, it was a big deal, of course. Yeah. And, well, you know, I lost like, all my well, clients. And, you know, it was, yeah. it, was, it was hard to work as an indicted staffer. Uh, my, my parents uh, don't have any money. You know, they weren't, they were just regular folk. Um, so my defense cost $1.7 million. And I had to you know, borrow that money from, from uh, frankly, just Democratic donors. Now, what can I do for it? You know, so, so these Democratic donors came out of the woodwork and helped a, a guy who didn't have any money, and, and uh, I won't forget it. But um, after you go through something like that, here I thought I won. You know, again, let's go. Uh, let's go back to work, and no one would hire me because I was too uh, popular. You know, why yeah. can't I can't I hire a finance director that, you know, it wasn't on the front page of the New York Times, uh, uh, you know, so they never You're nuclear. Printed, well, and they never printed, you know, innocent with big banners. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. So. Uh, so, yeah, I had to work my way back and claw my way back. And I'm very grateful to those initial clients that, you know, took a chance. And finally, I I. Um, took Senate races. And, and my best one was the last one was governor of Illinois, where I played yeah. a significant role, raised all the money and, um, we won. And after that, uh, after that race, I, I laid my guns down and, uh, we started, a, a a company and, you know, that's how, that's how I got into cannabis. It was mostly an entrepreneurial exercise, um, uh, to, um, take a company that was illegal and make it legal. And, um, we're still on that fight. I didn't yeah. think it would take that long, but uh, that's, that's where it is. Now it's helpful to have both the book background and the political background. When I go and talk to uh, county commissioners or, or yes. secretaries of state or, or the governors or the senators or the state senators or the local reps, you know, anyone in politics, it, 
it helps to have a background. Uh, I'm in the club, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so it, it's government relations work. So I can do that for our company and offer that, um, you know, as a skill. So let's talk a little bit about then what you just mentioned a little bit um, with, with politics in your tool belt and the book experience in your tool belt. For example, tonight, what's, what, what does that look like for you tonight going to this event? What, what, what is, what's your mentality going into it? How do you prepare for this as someone who might be listening, going, man, you know, how this, do you, this, at this that is, level, how does it work? This is, uh, this is, a, this is um, an honor to be invited to the White House under any administration. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's an honor. And so I, I treat it as such. I'm not going there to work tonight. I'm bringing my wife, who uh, is Ukrainian, who came over when she was oh, 10. Wow. And now I'm bringing my Ukrainian immigrant wife to the White House for a holiday That's awesome. party. So uh, That's how, incredible. Cool, how cool is that to have a nice uh, life experience and, uh, and be social in a historic place? Uh, uh, if I know people, great. You know, there's a lot of people that are, it's a small club. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, you know, other people that are invited, but um, it's not work. You know, when I go to to lobby or to advocate, you know, I work on the 280E, which is that low, being able to lower your taxable income. 280E is a just a it's a Reagan era, era tax law that was set up. So illegal drug dealers like methamphetamine people can't write off their trucks and their buildings and their uh, employees. <laughs> and uh, that's how we're treated. So that's one of the, the the main things that I that we fight for because it would be the main thing that would change, you know, the, the not just sur survivability but profitability. Now we've created a lot of great jobs. You know, 150 employees yeah. that have been working for us for a long time, uh, making uh, above average wages and, and with great benefits. Yeah, and I wanted to also talk a little bit about that since and since we're going in that direction. I met Pete uh, from the Bend, Oregon dispensary. So sure. uh, just so people know, and I don't think we've mentioned this, if you guys want to go to jennysdispensary.com, it's on the screen. But if you're just listening, Jenny's Dispensary, again, this link will also be in the description below. Um, but this is the name of your company. This is how it's going. I went to Jenny's in Bend, Oregon, which is beautiful. Met Pete, and the, he just the way he spoke about how you're operating this business, how you're treating your employees, like what you're saying, verified. Well, well, thank I didn't you. ask him that. He just and said Peter's that. worked for uh, us for years. He's, he's a master grower. His real yeah. talent, his real talent is growing. Um, he, he has you know, decades of experience. He's, he's, he's from Bend, Oregon. And um, so he's managing the retail store while we uh, build the cultivation center and that that retail store has been open six six seven years so it's been open a long time and um and then we're we're getting getting ready this year to break ground on a thirty six thousand square foot indoor cultivation facility and extraction facility so essentially what you're doing now is you're going to be growing it from closer to home uh when it comes well, to well the, the hard thing about this this business and almost impossible now is to get licenses so a finite amount of licenses so most states have you we're only going to give so many and once you have so many, that's it. So uh, in Nevada, that's the case. In, in, in Oregon, there's been a moratorium for the last eight years. No new licenses. And in fact, Deschutes County, where we are, they opted out of the program. No new licenses. Right. So it's valuable for that reason. It protects it. If you can hold on to these licenses, when it's legal, people will come and want to buy the licenses to operate in those states. So you're still going to need licenses. It's like liquor. You got to have a liquor license. And if you're going to go across state lines, there has to be a transportation license. Yeah. Oh, and, and those licenses are all done by the uh, ATF, alcohol, firearms and tobacco. So um, 
it'll always be regulated, but these will be very valuable. Think about think about a, a Budweiser yeah. distributorship license, you know, in a region, the Midwest. It's a lucrative gig. So yeah. eventually this business will be a good business. And our job is to just stabilize, get to get to stability. Um, what was your question? Yeah, no, I was gonna ask about the plan and 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 why like and also how you're trying to Often people ask me like, "Why don't you open a dispensary in St. Louis?" And you were telling me a little bit about that. So you, you yeah, so so you that, can't. But... You, it's almost impossible. Don't don't try now. Buy if you have any money, go buy <laughs> go buy somebody. But to, to, in the early in the early days, nobody wanted to talk about cannabis. Nobody wanted to tell their spouse or the attorney that they were investing in it. So it was easier because we didn't have you know international companies bidding against us. So in the early days, it was a merit based application like an rfp from a state whoever scores the most points gets the licenses that's, that's right so we won those those licenses early were the original licenses in nevada in oregon in maryland so these are the first licenses we won those now we had to buy we had to pay for the application fee we had to you know pay for renewals and attorneys and consultants and land and real estate but we won those licenses. Now what happened again, all those Canadian companies, what they did is they bought those licenses. So they bought existing businesses. So on top of having to build and expand, they had to pay millions and millions of dollars to interrupt some entrepreneur's dream and, and buy their, their license. So um, how do you get, so stabilization is be, by, by being vertically integrated, having the cultivation and right the there. retail and the extraction, then you got a chance. If you're not, if you're just a grow, if you're just a retail in this dead market right now, it's very, very difficult to survive because the expenses are so high, right? It's so expensive to operate a federally illegal business with compliance that it's it's almost impossible. So you're bleeding out. Those public companies are bleeding out, but they have access to public cash. We're stressed out because our numbers are down and we have to hit our numbers. So uh, again, we're, we're doing fine. And we expect federal legalization. You know, yeah. this we, we we still think we have a chance this session in the, in the lame duck. So we'll see. By the time this airs, we'll know whether the safe What's banking gonna happen has <laughs> passed. But it, it's kind of exciting because you know, there's no matter how I complain about all these onerous rules, it's still it's like railroad or cell phones or internet. This is big, right? More people smoke cannabis in the U.S. than cigarettes. So yeah. and and it, the whole world it's illegal except for Canada and Uruguay and now Germany and Czech Republic. So when the whole globe goes legal and this is more of a normalized product like you could go into a store and buy it anywhere you you go instead of having these you know d dispensaries you know yeah. you can even order it online. That that's when it gets normalized but but the exciting thing is you have a chance to rebuild the workforce, the middle class. Where yeah. People are excited about cannabis and they go and they work in a job. And if you pay them enough, a living wage and health insurance, they stay forever. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, it's a, it's a really good way to rebuild the middle class in these urban centers. Uh, we hire non-traditional backgrounds. Uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, we hire all walks of life. And when you leave us, you're a union uh, uh, manager, you're a union cultivator, mm -hmm. you're a union lab tech. And you have retirement benefits, and you can take that with you anywhere in the United States, at least where it's legal. That's incredible. in In your in your mind, is this kind of like a you're kind of like a craft brewery trying to compete against like well, you a giant just, company like Coors? That's the analogy I use. So you're spot on. 
right now, there's not an educated consumer unless you've been um, a user of cannabis for the last 20 years and, and really know what terpenes affect your body and how, how it helps you get around during the day or affects your mood or helps you sleep or your anxiety or, or your appetite. Excuse me. So now what's being dumped on the market is just high THC um, cannabis. So it's and like, that's like calling it like super cheap uh, Coors Light. Like just I, like, I think it's more like calling it Everclear. Oh, okay. So it's more like you're, they're selling Everclear. And they're selling, they're selling, they're okay. selling Everclear, but who wants to go and have a glass of Everclear? Right. No. So, Not so, 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 so you want, you want more of a, you want more of a, a sophisticated uh, approach to a, a beverage, to uh, a cigar, um, you know, f- finishing hops is, is an art. And so all the finish work that goes into finishing cannabis, the, the cure is, is, is again, an art. So, and it comes out in, in the end. So true connoisseur. So this takes the craft approach. What happened is, you know, all those big beer companies laughed at, you know, the, the little breweries that were popping yeah. up, calling themselves shoes, Apple yeah. this or Goose this. Yeah. And, and what happened is they took 55, 60% of the market share and they had to buy all those companies. So yes, I, I do think that, you know, our craft approach by growing in deep water culture, recycling, reclaiming our water, growing a clinical grade cannabis, and then taking that same um, dedication to purity. And our, our extract company is called Pure Extracts. And so we take those extracts, we, we extract from our own plants, we pull those cannabis-derived terpenes, and we make a more complex vape pen. So, you know, the word smooth, is expensive. Yes. So a smooth cigar, a smooth scotch, um, smooth is expensive. And in cannabis, it just means that you're pulling a lot of terpenes. So we pull 4% terpenes on a lot of our runs. That is the smoothest. So all that great medicine is just, you know, operating it, it with each other in this entourage effect. And you're having as good as you can get. So there's a big difference. And the craft approach will be an interrupter someday. You know, you know, where I grew up, you would drive counties to go get good weed. <laughs> and, and so to say that, you know, we all have the same weed that looks the same, that has all 36% THC and, uh, oh, this is pretty good. Um, th- there's, a lot, there's a lot to come with that. Also, proper storage, you know, humidors. You know, these stores weren't built f- it, with a humid environment. You can go and buy a cigar in, uh, treated better than this cannabis that's quite expensive. So yeah, there's yeah. lots of uh, consumer education um, globally that, uh, yeah. you know, that, that comes with it, but it's coming. And I think that helps also fight the stigma, right? Like for example, uh, I'm openly a cannabis user, right? I live in Portland, Oregon for the love of God. On, on a goat from a, I'm trying to think like, if I was, if I was looking into this and, and I, for people who are listening who might be like, hey, this actually, I want to learn more about this. What's the barrier to entry? Like maybe I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, I would, that sounds cool, but I don't know shit about insurance. Like I, why would I want to go talk to people? Yeah. The, the barriers to entry, I think are really pretty low. Uh, everybody would probably have a different opinion, but in terms of just be able to get out the door and go sell, you've got to, you've got to get a license. I have my life and health license because you needed the health license at family heritage, or if you want to sell Medicare products or certain types of health products, right. you have to have the health side, but, what it takes to get either one or both of those licenses is roughly the same. You take a study course, you may need to study for 15 hours, you may need to study as many as 30 hours, but like with Cardinal, we've got a, a 
a pretty cool course from studying to getting your license can can be as quick as like seven to 10 days if you really 15 to 20 if you're moving at a medium pace and beyond that if it takes you longer than that you're just not really all that motivated to start because it's yeah. not a difficult process yo let's get off schedule one last time go watch a movie or maybe you should figure out how to work at nlight energy alex black is crushing it down there and a former dsm julio hernandez are both running this company and man they are cranking 10 people on their team and growing it's enough that uh Alex only has to sell like one thing every other week and make over six figures. So if you want to learn more about that and maybe help change the planet, click on the link below. That'll do for now. Like I said, make sure you click below to get some more information. And now back to the show. Um, I've been to Ben, so can confirm the quality control. Can confirm the quality Excellent. of the product. Can confirm. Yeah. Uh, I can also confirm the happiness of your staff. I'm just letting people know from an unbiased standpoint. I understand that what you're saying, um, but there's still even stuff that I'm not really as familiar with. So you're saying the beating that stigma of, oh, it's just weed or it's just like super expensive weed or or, or like or helping people understand that there is an art form to the process that you're putting into it. And that is why it's worth enjoying and investing into the smaller entrepreneurs rather than the Goliaths. No of- question. I, I have employees. I just went into a dispensary here in Illinois doing my quality control. And I, and I, um, I was talking to the employees and they go, yeah, weed here sucks. We go to Michigan and there's some growers there that really care about it. So yeah, it, it it's for those of us that know, right. A great wine person, a great, so, and, and more, the more you find out first, if you've never smoked anything, you're going to start with a vape pen. You may just eat a gummy bear. So you might never get to that. <laughs> you know, what is the best, you know, way to consume? Because when you smoke flour, it, all these terpenes pop at different heat uh, signatures. So again, as they all act together, interact by burning it, you're getting, you know, this full flavor. Now we yeah. do recreate that in our infused pre-rolls. They're called sugar cones. And we treat those with uh, our own sugar. It's a 50% THC joint. It takes about 30 minutes to smoke. And, you know, it's a connoisseur product. So yeah. uh, all with our own extracts. Again, so the, the only thing we rely on others for is these uh, Chinese uh, uh, vape, uh, vape uh, batteries to power those vape pens. And, and you know, uh, it's, I'm just speaking from experience here because, you know, I live in Portland. So, you know, we're talking about wine country is, I mean, that is high, high. You got it craft beer is high high end here and there are some other dispensaries that are also you can tell how to take care of their quality control but for the most part if you go to your average joe corner of the you know store dispensary they don't have the kind of stuff that, that we have found at jenny's from a standpoint of just like the quality. The, the, one you got to be a good buyer and peter because he's a great grower is a great buyer so he's got a very good nose for quality in bend oregon we don't have our own cultivation so we're not growing our own cannabis so he has to buy the best cannabis in, in Oregon and yeah. to, to brand Jenny's to stay with it. Eventually, we'll, we'll have 40% or 50% be our own product, and we'll be able to stand by the in-house brand of Wave Seer and Pure Extracts. So you know, that's what we have in Las Vegas. But, so one, it's just being a great buyer. But two, I don't fault anybody. You know, it's so, such a tough market. It's such a hard market that they're barely making it. You know, these stores are barely making it. So they got to buy, you know, the, the on sale weed 
limit their sale, limit their pro, uh, their their options, and uh, they they have to stay alive because they they uh, pay so much in taxes and, and can't lower their taxable income. So I respect all any any uh, entrepreneur that's trying to own a dispensary. Uh, again, quality and consistency is the bedrock for any business. So if the if the Coca Cola is not the same each time, you're out of business. So right. you know here mm. we're, we're we're used to stockouts where if we if I have MS and I I go into a, a retail store, and I find a strain that I like and it helps me with my mobility, and I buy an ounce of it, and I come back, and I go I, I, can I have that you know apple fritter? Oh no, sir, we're out of that. Oh, when will you have it? Oh, we're not sure. Yeah, no. Oh, do you know anybody else that sells it? Oh, I'm not sure. So you go on Weed Maps and you find another dispensary and you go, hey, apple fritter. Oh, you got it? Oh, good. Phew. And you go home and it's completely different. It's called apple fritter, but it's not the same. So that's our business. You know, you, you, nobody. So for us, what we focused on is very little difference between when we grow the Durban poison and when we grow it again and when we grow it again and when mm. we grow it again. So we pretty much by automating deep water culture, we have this consistency. And so anytime you want to go into our stores and get this cannabis, we have it for you. That's the bedrock of being able to build a business and build a brand. Yeah. And so uh, consistency, I mean, the, I'm like, you're like out here doing advanced sales, Dave, my head writing all this stuff down um, from, from the plant that you're breaking ground on is that's going to be in Vegas next year. Uh, we've uh, Vegas is open. We're breaking ground in Bend, Oregon, oh, on in a hundred Bend. acre okay, farm, and um, we're opening up a dispensary in Maryland. We've had that license since 2016, but a lot of this is political. We've been been in legal fights. We were in a legal fight in Bend for three and a half years and went to the Supreme Court of Oregon. We won. So you know, that's Jeez. the other thing. You know, just the expenses in legal alone. You know, we pay I, more. I was going to ask, what about we, the legal side? Yeah, you know, we pay more in legal than Boeing. It, it's uh, it's hard to take. <laughs> so, so yeah, all of these obstacles are part of it. It also stops people from coming in, right? You know, a lot of these barriers to entry because it's so expensive and, you know, you lose money. <laughs> no one wants yeah. to do it. So it, it limits, you know, the, the new entrances in. Um, it's the monopolies that, that are our, our, our harder, hardest problem. If, uh, if someone's listening and they want to say, hey, Dave, I'm, I'm interested. I want to help. I want to maybe invest or I want to get in or I want to, you know, it's, maybe it's a book person, right? Yeah. What would be the best? Where Where is the most attention needed? How How can they help? How can people help the most? Or you, you know, as we expand, as focus? we expand, these are really good jobs. So it's, it really depends on what they're interested. If they have a green thumb and they really like to grow plants, well, you know, this is indoor agriculture. It's a combination of high tech and you know, old school farming. It's it's very cool. So yeah, people with it. Um, uh, people that have agrarian backgrounds or, or have an interest in in this, that, that's one aspect. It's highly paid. It's good good gig. The lab jobs, that's the extraction. Highly paid, good gigs. And if you're looking at something like if you're going to school still and you, you live in one of our places, then, then maybe you want a packaging job where you just go there and you knock it out or a trim job, right? The retail jobs are, are very good. These are all union jobs, by the way. All come with benefits, all full-time. Um, but but as we as we expand and we grow, then the manufacturer's rep or that drug rep, you know, someone who goes to the other dispensaries and has our products in their sample case and, and uh, sells our wholesale products, because that's our, uh, our future, which is giant, to be a giant wholesaler. We want to encourage those retail stores to carry our products. And there's a yes. 280E is a little bit better and wholesale business is a little bit better. 
Um, so so th that's a really good job for a book person, um, carrying a sample case and, and going around to retail sure. stores and talking Sounds about weird. how good the, the, the cannabis <laughs> is. <laughs> so just going door to business to business. Business to business. To you know, it's like Tom James, but for weed. You got it. <laughs> We're the weed Tom James. <laughs> That's so good. I love that. Oh man. Well, uh, gosh, I, I, uh, I just, I want to say thank you so much for being here. I, I, uh, I am glad that, uh, you wanted to hop on again, looking forward to continuing to connect with you, um, about, about this and, and thanks for coming on a second time. The last, the last bit I want to say before we wrap up here, um, is, you know, is there any, besides going and getting into wholesale, any major goals or North star points that you're really looking forward to maybe in the industry, maybe in your company, or maybe as a, as a person, in fact, from a personal standpoint well, you know, for yourself. If we had a, a watch company, we would go to New York, they'd give us $50 million and we'd build our facilities and we'd make watches. And to not be able to do that, you know, limits all of our options for, for us to not be able to access capital to be able to build these facilities and just create more jobs when the demand is there is, is the most frustrating thing. So yeah, the, the ultimate goal would be get funded. And it's almost like finding a, a, a partner in life. And to find a partner in business is very difficult. So most people you know, in our space that want to get into cannabis, they're trying to be, they're, well, they're predatory. They, they want to lend money at 20%. Well, that's a good deal. <laughs> Um, or, or they want to take advantage of our real estate by mortgaging it, or they want to, you know, help us in other great ways. So it's, it's a very tough one. If we could just have normal normalization, all I'm looking for, I don't need a big yeah. goal. Just to let us run a business the way we, we know how to run without any of these onerous tax rules. But at the end of the day, what we'd like to do is build full-time middle-class jobs in these urban centers across the country. So, so, you know, wow. Chicago, Los Angeles, New Orleans, uh, uh, Boston, all these places where people can walk to work again, that we get away from, from this awful commute. And you can walk, have a full-time job. We have a living wage and health insurance and great benefits. And, and that's how we were built. You know, we were Beautiful. built on middle-class jobs. And by the way, then they can buy more of our weed and, uh, you know, so can their family members. Yeah. And I think the impact that that can have on like the communities have been marginalized for this or they would have been like, you know, you mentioned, you brought this up early, people who went to jail for the wrong, I mean, there's cops right now in Oregon smoking weed and who arrested someone, you know, 20 years ago that yeah. is still serving. So no, it, it's, it's a terrible, those, those people should all be let out those low level drugs. It was a discriminatory tool. Uh, people uh, were thrown in jail with, with, uh, with low level, low level drug offenses and, and other people were not, you know, I was pulled over many times. I never went to jail. So, you know, they took my weed and, you know, let me go. So, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's been wrong. It's not right. And, and, uh, but more than that, let's, let's skip any kind of restoration. Let's just say this. We can rebuild the middle class. There's three new jobs, Uber, Lyft, and weed. And Uber and Lyft suck. So with, with cannabis, it's yet to determine how, is it a living wage and health insurance? Are you going to be able to work and go and work in this factory your whole life? Are you going to be able to have, you know, pay for your kid's college and have a two-car garage and go on vacation? And, you know, uh, that middle-class lifestyle without being stressed, for God's sakes, being stressed that you lose your insurance or somebody gets hurt, be stressed to go on vacation so you spend more time at work and less time with your family. 
And that's where we've been. We've been on this downward spiral where, you know, there's not enough contemplative time and there's not enough money in the middle class. That's the key. The rich people do very well when the middle class has money in their pockets. Yeah. Uh, Dave, you are a pioneer, my friend. Well, and I'm real pleasure. I'm looking forward to uh, to just uh, seeing where this goes. Let me know in a couple of weeks. Uh, text me how it went with the the safe with banking. And, and yeah. see, you'll see, you'll see about banking. it on CNN. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll be. I'll, it'll be. There'll be a lot of tweets about it. Um, yeah. On that note, guys, thank you so much. My name is Andres Gamboa. Uh, you've been listening to the Ponytails Podcast. This was the season eight premiere. Thank you for sticking around. Catch us on the next episode with Todd McWhorter, uh, Pat Roach, and Jake Chesney. Uh, we're doing a oh boy, uh, powerhouse, powerhouse. Yeah, it's powerhouse. Episode. We're just bang bang two two strong episodes to start it out. Thank, <clears throat> thank you so much, everyone. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace out.